3: My friends, and welcome to this another episode of the roto World Football Podcast. My name is Shaq Norris. Thank you for being here. We'll get right into it. Hopefully, you won your first week of your fantasy football playoffs. Uh, we're going to continue content through the playoffs. You know, so expect waiver wire show this week. Expect two more shows, Denny and Pat, and then our game by game preview show. If you enjoy us, if you want to support us, a rating and review always helps us out, especially this time of year. You've been amazing with it, and we appreciate it so much. Enjoy, and here we go. The fighting Jalen Hurts beat the New Orleans Saints 24-21. to Those are the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Just their fourth win of the season. Pat, Jalen Hurts comes in in his first start. Complete 17 of 30 for 167, one touchdown. On the ground, 18 carries, 106 yards, and a late fumble that we will not talk about. But, Pat, I mean, this was against a top two defense, against the pass, against the run. There has to be a multitude of positives, and I'm sure some negatives as well at the rookie's first game with an NFL starter.
4: A lot of positives. Even that lost fumble, I'll defend. It was in clock killing mode, uh, but he had both hands on the ball. He was going down. They just punched it out. It was just a great defensive play. I and mean, I'm sure he'll be upset about it. But mean, yeah, so this, the stat here, you know, if you watch Saints games every week, you hear the stat. It's been so and so many games since the Saints have allowed a 100 yard rusher. And today, Jalen Hurts had 100 yards, and even Miles Sanders, you know, who had been left for dead, had 100 yards. And there was, like, the real – it went according to plan, like, what we needed to see. Like, Jalen Hurts threatening defenses in a way that Carson Wentz just wasn't. Uh, The 82-yard touchdown that Miles Sanders scored came on a read option, so, you know, the defense has to suck in. They're afraid of Jalen Hurts running the ball. And then Miles Sanders got this huge hole to run through and once to farm and he was off to the races. And, you know, that was just a completely different look for the Eagles. And so, you know, again, the passing game, not a ton of big plays, uh, not, you know, didn't have a huge connection with anyone, but he was spreading the ball around. He was getting it out quickly. Like it probably went exactly according to plan to the Eagles. So he's just processing things quickly. Didn't take any sacks, uh, despite yeah. being a dual threat, despite it being his first career start. But you're know, playing behind a terrible offensive
3: line. So I think that's the most important part because we've seen – and Carson Wentz is mobile, but then there are long periods where he just holds the football way yes. too long and just has a lot of self-inflicted mistakes. And other than that fumble late, doesn't seem like Jalen Hurts had any of those. And his mobility, his athleticism was a major asset where he was able to buy himself some time and either pass the football – outside the pocket or run with it like I want to want you to put like your X and O's cap on just for a second and just in your brain what do you think that like the differences of this of the play calling was of the structure of the offense and was it similar to Carson Wentz and if so is it just to say easy to say that Jalen Hurts is has already outplayed Carson Wentz this season He's, I mean, I don't know. Carson had
4: a few starts midseason where it's like, oh, maybe Carson Wentz is getting back on track. But all I know is it's going to be Jalen Hurts in week 15 because, I mean, it was probably a paired back game plan, even though they were pairing it back already for Carson Wentz. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the game plan was yeah, quick passes, don't make mistakes as a passer, and yeah, threaten the defense with your leg. And like, like what I said in my opening spiel, basically, and it was executed just to perfection and like r- running lanes that weren't there. You know, for anyone like the past like month, basically we're there today. Uh, And by the way, the running game too uh, paired back from a three-man committee back to a one-man committee. uh, We'd like to see it. We do eighteen touches for Miles Sanders is most in a month. I believe only four or five uh, for Boston Scott, and most importantly, uh, zero. For Jordan Howard. So it was a classic rookie quarterback offense. There's a classic dual threat quarterback offenses, an emphasis on quickness and avoiding mistakes.
3: Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.
1: Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features, the owner's manual for important operating instructions. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks, then there are drinks from McDonald's.
2: Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with any other
3: offer.
1: Ba da ba ba ba. I,
3: I will I mean, he did make a couple plays though, like that fourth and two pass that was a back shoulder throw to Alshon Jeffrey early in this game. Like, there's some aggressiveness from Doug Pearson. As a play caller and then an aggressive throw by Jalen Hurts. And so just converting that. And by the way, Peterson has not said that Jalen Hurts is the starting week 15, which, oh, you know, competitive advantage. Just get over yourself, dude. Your team has won four games this year. Maybe you're still in the playoffs because the NFC East is straight garbage. But Jalen Hurts is clearly your best option right now. And it showed today in one of the most difficult matchups imaginable for this offense with an even worse offensive line. And he played great great for for expectations of what a second-round rookie should. Because, Pat, for a very long time, second-round rookies, especially at quarterback, it is difficult to find success stories in that area.
4: Very difficult. And, yeah, speaking back to the game plan, by the way, it was – so, like, hopefully, too, you know, the Eagles, so many third and longs, like the third and long kings this year, they were getting, like, two or three yards quite often on third and fourth down, and they were hyper-aggressive. They went for their first three – Fourth down to the game, one of which was that touchdown uh, to Alshon Jeffrey. So, just basically putting the offense, put the quarterback in position to succeed uh, with an, you know easy type digest offense, and when that's executed, put everyone in position to succeed by being aggressive, not punting, not settling for field goals, and just basically trying to change their luck. And against you know a defense that have been just white hot over the past month, it's hard to believe this could have gone any better uh, for what the Eagles and Doug Peterson were envisioning.
3: We are nearing a handful of starts for Taysom Hill today. 28 of 38, 291, two touchdowns, one interception, five carries for 33 yards. Did also have a fumble lost. And Pat, we kind of discussed this in the preview show that like if the Eagles were going to win, the formula could be that their pass rushers were able to get after Taysom Hill and force these types of turnovers. I mean, five sacks as well. It happened, and and that's how it played out today. Overall, because we had a great Taysom Hill game last week, what was Taysom like today?
4: It was a little bit of everything today. and It was definitely like the tale of two first halves where Taysom entered halftime, I believe, with only 65 yards passing, and also with his interception, which was like a bullet under duress to – Alvin Kamara, who was just not expecting it, the ball bounced up in the air, it was not a good decision. He like said, "Of those five sacks, he lost almost 30 yards total. Two of them were on third down, one of them was on fourth down. So you know, the kind of holding on to the ball too long, quite frequently. And uh, so most of his production came in the second half. But in the second half was where the Eagles were missing three starting defensive backs. They lost two corners and a safety. And thankfully, Taysom Hill, you know, they were winning 17 to nothing too. So kind of sitting back." trying to protect the lead, missing three DBs. And thankfully for Taysom Hill, he did take advantage of that. I mean, you gotta you gotta take advantage of good circumstances if you're gonna be a good NFL quarterback. Found Emmanuel Sanders for a great 37 yard touchdown where Emmanuel was being interfered with like uh, blatantly by some corner I had never heard of. I think who had never played
3: before. Uh, but then he did. His first NFL game ever, or just football game, period. Yeah, probably
4: his first literal ever first football game. Not even high school or Peewee. We. Uh, he missed Emmanuel later for a wide open twenty yard touchdown in the end zone. He rallied one play later and found Jared Cook for a great twenty yard touchdown in the end zone. But this was like the classic little bit of everything for Taysom Hill. But yep, just kind of operating too slowly. Like the sacks were just you know in killer spots routinely. Mm. The fumble shouldn't have happened. The interception was but and. So Taysom can create some offense, you know, he threatens defenses in unique ways, but today was, so he can't really create instant offense the way Drew Drew Brees does. He needs like good game flow and like uh, there's just too many mistakes. The Saints are not going to win a Super Bowl without Drew Brees coming back, which he should for week 15 against the Chiefs.
3: There was this fun moment and it is coaching, but when Taysom Hill under duress fired a pass, that was a screen pass directly at Alvin Kamara and then Sean Payton, legitimately starts trying to teach him how to play quarterback on the sideline. It was just, you know, one of those fun, entertaining uh, football blooper moments, Pat, that uh, look, we're not trying to criticize anyone by saying that it's just facts. That's exactly what he was trying to do. Just like put some loft under it. Was yes.
4: And that was the interception by the way. So I was I love like, it. maybe uh, don't do that. Taysom. <laughs> so here's what we do in that situation. Anything but that
3: put some air under it. Michael Thomas was incredibly efficient. Uh, eight of eight, 84 yards. Uh, Pat, let's talk about Alvin Kamara quickly to close this one because he did get 11 carries, 50 yards, and a touchdown because they were working in negative game script. I mean, it was 17 to nothing at halftime, especially after some Will Lutz missed field goals. Uh, look, the running game wasn't going to get going from a design perspective. But look, Alvin Kamara also got seven catches on 10 targets, 44 yards. That passing game work is something that we've craved in recent weeks, Associated to Taysom Hill.
4: Yeah, more than double the receptions he had in his first three uh, Taysom Hill starts. And Latavius Murray is nowhere to be found because, like I said, they fell behind by three scores in the first half. So it was all Alvin Kamara game script after halftime. Michael Thomas, by the way, eight receptions in three of his four Taysom Hill starts. So it might have been too little, too late for people who took – Uh, Michael Thomas in the first round, but like he's been helping you in the as the fantasy playoffs are here. And again, like the reward, if you survived that, is Drew Brees for a week 15 shootout with the Chiefs. So hopefully we get an 11 or 12 Michael Thomas uh, catch performance in week 15.
3: Let's now go to the the other game that you had, Pat. Let's now go to the other game that you had, Pat, the Tennessee Titans Uh and the Jacksonville Jaguars 31 to 10, the Titans won, which is probably a scoreline we all expected. Um, and it's because Jaguars are bad defensively. They're hurt defensively. It probably felt like they didn't have 11 men defensively. Meanwhile, Derrick Henry goes out there and gets 26 carries, 215 yards, and two touchdowns. Um, tell us how it happened, Pat.
4: It did happen. The second most rushing yards of Derrick Henry's career, and 31 to 10. This could have been so so much worse. It was 31 to three like five or six minutes into the third quarter. And that's when the event of the game happened. Mike Glennon uh, benched Mike Glennon, who was unspeakably bad. I uh, uh, believe generated uh, 85. Or you look
3: like you have something to say, by the way, Josh, we need to. Talk yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the stat line. I didn't even check his stat line yet, Pat. <laughs> he was 13 of 23 for 85 yards and an interception. I did not know that was possible.
4: Yeah. And despite that extremely low, like YPA, he was throwing a lot of deep balls, uh, but it was not a good idea at all. And his interception targeted to DJ shark and is laughably underthrown. And his favorite uh, pass, Mike Lennon's favorite pass was like deep balls into crowds. And it was the whole, the whole project came unraveled. The Mike Lennon scam uh, came unraveled and garden of interest. So comes in, you know, it's 31 to three. You're going to face a lot of soft defenses. He immediately rallied them for a touchdown, he got them back in the red zone twice. It stalled out. They went for it both times, didn't kick field goals. But, I mean, I think we kind of all suspected, you know, Gardner Minshew is not a franchise quarterback, but he's better than Mike Glennon. Uh, that was certainly borne out by what happened uh, with the Jacksonville Jaguars on Sunday afternoon.
3: Yeah, DJ Chark just two receptions on nine, nine targets. targets. I do want to talk about James Robinson before we move on to the Titans offense because James Robinson was the late-round value of all late-round values this year. And has, I'm sure a lot of people that rostered him either have buys or are in the fantasy playoffs right now. And then Pat today was one of his worst performances of the year. 12 carries, 67 yards with 47 of those yards happening on just one run. And then in the passing game, four catches for 16 yards. I understand the game script like we just talked about was so awful, but that hasn't prevented James Robinson from having good days in the past.
4: No, so James Robinson usually doesn't get game scripted out because it doesn't matter what it is. He's their only running back. He's one of their only means of moving the ball, but there's no drive sustained at all in the first half and his fewest rushing yards in seven weeks, but it was a classic kind of what might have been game because he lost the touchdown and 44 yards uh, to penalties. So it was like a real, what might've been for you in the fantasy quarterfinals because it was right there, lost an 18 yard touchdown, um, but, you know, like, you know, the yards might not have happened without the penalties, of course. But it really was nothing concerning from James Robert. He still looked very good, you know, very springy, uh, moving the pile. But, yeah, just uh, it was difficult for Car- to come by carries. And two of his biggest plays of the day were wiped out by penalties.
3: Do we need to say anything about the two special players on the Titans side? I mean, Derrick Henry, I mentioned, at 26 carries, 215 yards and two touchdowns. And meanwhile – AJ Brown nine targets seven receptions one hundred and twelve yards and a score.
4: Yeah, there's a few things. To say. So AJ Brown just like the one of the highlights of the day, as we're used to uh, an over the shoulder one handed grab where he basically removed Sidney Jones's soul for his touchdown. It was like thirty five to forty yards on a flea flicker. And so Derek Henry. Uh, the fourth 200 yard game of his career. I believe now he's at 1532 yards rushing. Uh, he needs to average 156 over his final 3 games to get to 2000. And you can you know you can bet the Titans will be gunning for that especially because they're playing the Lions, the Packers and the Texans. I can't quite remember the order. You know, three of the worst run defenses in the NFL. The run defenses that just made David Montgomery like a top five or six running back for three weeks in a row. So we are going to see Derrick Henry go absolutely nuclear down the stretch in these advantageous matchups. And as the Titans try to get him to 2,000 yards rushing,
3: the Arizona Cardinals get back on track, beating the New York Giants 26 7. Kyle Dvorak had this game, not the Cleveland Browns game. Uh, Kyle, let's talk about Kyler Murray 24 35, 244. One touchdown and maybe most importantly, 13 carries for 47 yards. You know, this has been an offense that especially this week when they were a bit down the dumps, a lot of people were critical of both Cliff Kingsbury, how it was being produced. Well, we're kind of back to good Cardinals offense and good Kyler Murray, which means more rushing attempts. Yeah,
5: I mean, that's the thing I think we've all been waiting for. I think it was back-to-back-to-back games, if I remember correctly, of exactly five rush attempts. And I mean, for you know some quarterbacks, that would be a ton, but not for mm-hmm. Kyler Murray, who, we, th- I mean, he just looks like, when you watch him play, probably the fastest quarterback in the NFL, probably the most agile quarterback in the NFL. You know, he's a different running style than, you know, a Lamar Jackson or, or a Cam Newton. But all things considered, possibly probably maybe the best running quarterback. And we just weren't getting that. And that's such an element of his game that I think completes how you defend them or it incompletes how you defend them is that you can't really focus too much on any one aspect of the passing game or the running back running game. When you just have an extra player on the field that teams with these, you know, statue quarterbacks, they're like losing a player essentially, or at least the Cardinals are gaining a player over them. When he's not running, it's just such an easier team to defend, I think. And he was running this week. So it looks like we're back to good old Kyler Murray. I will say a lot of his yards came on yards after the catch by DeAndre Hopkins, but like, you know, he he took the easy throws, and DeAndre Hopkins just happened to make great plays after the catch. So it's not a knock on him as much as it is just supporting how good we should expect DeAndre Hopkins to be.
3: Yeah. And the Cardinals are like on the cliff of playoffs or not again, sitting at seven-six, they have the Eagles, the 49ers, and the Rams in the final three games which is incredibly difficult. So Kyler's going to, have to be back at his best in order for them to even sniff the playoffs, I would say, at the end. Um, let's talk about DeAndre Hopkins because along with questioning Kyler and his health, there were questions with how DeAndre Hopkins was being utilized, mainly because of the route tree he ran in Week 13. Kyler must have been a lot better. I mean, 11 targets, 9 receptions, 136 yards, a long catch of 41 yards. You know, when I looked up, I saw... Him being targeted more often over the middle of the field, which had vanished in previous weeks. And then you said he was winning after the catch, which I would also say is not typically a part of DeAndre Hopkins' game. Yeah, it was interesting. I feel like he just, like, DeAndre Hopkins,
5: I'm sure, has a way of making these things happen. It wasn't just the Giants' defense didn't know about him, but he was just, like, cleanly generating separation. And it's not, you know, like I said, it's not surprising. But it wasn't just like he was gaining a yard or two step. Like, he was just wide open. And I think maybe that does have something to do with the fact that, yeah, it wasn't just, like, running one or two routes. He did seem to be used a little bit more at different spots of the field, like across the middle. And Maybe the Giants weren't ready for it. or Maybe that's just something that, like, when you use DeAndre Hopkins in different ways – good things happen unsurprisingly. So yeah, it was an overall really good game from him. And I think like maybe the previous weeks, I mean, probably the previous thing, three or so weeks were just a blip on the radar because when you add Deandre Hopkins, to Kyler Murray, you should
3: expect greatness. They didn't have James Bradbury shadowing him or trailing him in this game. I think he did not shadow him the whole game. I think they faced a different
5: number of coverage. I don't believe that he, uh, he shadowed him the whole game though. To God. specific.
3: And I am no coach in the NFL, but, you know, those two guys had faced off each other a couple of years ago when it was the Texans and the Panthers and James Bradbury did really well. You know, from watching those Panthers Bucks games that against the likes of Mike Evans, James Bradbury would have some of his best games against those types. So to me, it's just fascinating that they didn't ask him to because I I saw the same thing. I saw him going up against different defensive backs and that was a surprise to me. Um, All right. I guess we need to mention Kenyon Drake just really quickly. We don't have to say anything because he just exists and he's getting super high-value touches. Um, he had 23 carries, 80 yards a score, including a long run of 36, and he remains one of the leaders in terms of carries inside the 10-yard line, which produces his fantasy value. Um, on the Giants' side, Kyle, just as everyone was getting sucked in into the optimism, sucked into this culture that Joe Judge was bringing, you know, Dave Gettleman was actually building a good team. They lay a complete stinker here. What happened? Daniel Jones, 11 of 21, 127, six sacks on the day. Yeah, I would say like there are games for all quarterbacks who take a lot of sacks, but for Daniel Jones in particular,
5: where he just doesn't have like any idea what is coming his way and takes egregious sacks. And some of his sacks this game were absolutely that, where like, You just, if you want to be an NFL quarterback, you have to have this hyper level of awareness because sacks and what can happen from sacks fumbles. They nearly had a fumble six and it went back into the red zone. If not close to it, those things are so detrimental that the avoidance of them, like the the one or two losses on these big sacks can break your entire game. This wasn't the worst. I didn't even think it was the worst game from him. It was terrible offensive line play. There was just guys accosting Daniel Jones throughout the game. But yeah, it was also some of Daniel Jones. Like the first play, it wasn't even a blindside. It was just it was a completely missed assignment where a defender runs unabated to him, but it wasn't blindside. I I think that's the kind of awareness you need to have where if you yeah. like he should have seen this guy coming at him and he got blasted and it, it was a fumble that went back into the red zone. Like it's both Daniel Jones being Daniel Jones and then his line just amplifying to the
3: 10th degree the things that he does poorly. 3 fumbles on the day. Not all of them were lost, just one was, but that is a trait. That's a section of Daniel Jones's game. And there's some Jameis Winston in him because he does put those blinders on, eliminate all the chaos around him, and he gets so focused on creating these big plays that these mistakes happen. Now, on the other side, Hassan Reddick had five sacks. This is an Hassan Reddick player who Steve Kime kind of drafted in the first round, wanted to play him as an off-ball linebacker. And it didn't work out. It didn't work out. And even at Temple, you know, he moved and switched between positions, but probably his best part was rushing the passer. And Kyle, that's why they drafted Isaiah Simmons, because Steve Kahn keeps searching for this type. Meanwhile, he has a career day. I mean, that's pretty cool here in week 14.
5: Yeah, it was a it was just overall. This was like, I mean, they looked just like fast and aggressive the way they were getting to Daniel Jones. And interestingly, I think there are a lot of quarterbacks who can take sacks. It's about even when you know you're going to take the sack when you know you're going to get hit protecting the ball and not having it you know, out off to the side where it can be easily knocked away. And the Cardinals, like, I would imagine they, they knew this and were just prepared at all times to, if you get to the quarterback, be especially aggressive at taking the ball away because he is not
3: going to be prepared to hold on to the football when he's getting hit. Kansas City Chiefs improved to 12-1 and 1 on the season, beating the Miami Dolphins 33-27. 30, Denny Carter had this game. Denny, Patrick Mahomes basically spotted the Dolphins 10 points to open yeah. this game yet on the day, again, the team scored 33 and he finished 24 of 34, 393, two touchdowns and three interceptions, I mean, three interceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, how was the Chiefs offense overall? I, it was beyond those three interceptions, which, which is very weird to
2: see. And you know, one of them was, was tipped. Uh, the other two, well, there there were two that were kind of redirected, and then one was just his fault. They would have beaten the Dolphins probably by thirty today, um, hmm. if if not for those interceptions. I mean, they were up twenty going into the fourth quarter, and uh, to the Dolphins' credit and to Tua's credit, you know they they made a furious comeback attempt. Um, it almost you know came to fruition. Uh, the The offense was for Kansas City was very sluggish to start and. It, it 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 seemed like they were just taking away Tyreek Hill everywhere you know uh, near line of scrimmage in the middle of the field downfield especially uh they were saying you you will you won't beat us you can beat us with other in other ways but you're not going to beat us with Tyreek Hill catching 70 yard passes and and that mostly worked except for the one 44 year old 44 yard touchdown, not touchdown uh, that year old touchdown that Tyreek Hill caught um, on a, you know, a laser from Mahomes, home. So, um, you know, in, in the end, there was just, just there's just no stopping. There is just no stopping yeah. the, the the Chiefs offense, even when, when it was sluggish, you know, it was 15 yards to Kelsey,
3: 20 yards to Sammy Watkins, just over and over and over again. I, I think it speaks to just how special he is. And the offense is that, yeah, you mentioned a 44 yard reception. He finished with 79 yards receiving on the day Tyreek Hill did, but then he also had a 32 yard rushing score as well. I mean, he's so explosive. Um, and then there are other long receptions too. Miko Hardman had a 26 yarder, Sammy Watkins, a 37 yarder, Clyde Edwards, a 26 yarder. And I want to talk about Travis Kelsey because, Denny, could this be the most impressive tight end season we've ever seen? Uh, 10 targets, eight receptions, 136 yards, one touchdown. All the other tight ends in the NFL are not consistent. In fact, many of them suck. <laughs> on a weekly basis. And Travis Kelsey is just out here dominating each and every week. And it doesn't matter if there's a good defense like the Miami Dolphins.
2: Travis Kelsey is like something like seven or eight fantasy points better than the next closest guy right now uh, per game. Per so game. He's,
3: he's tied in Chris McCaffrey is what you're telling me.
2: Uh, yes. I mean, this season, I don't know if there's a, a, a more pronounced advantage than being able to to roll out Travis Kelsey, especially if you're in a a super flex, I'm sorry, a tight end premium league. Um, He's just, he's just dominant. And, um, and again, you know, it's, it's, it's not these huge plays uh, for Kelsey, but just consistent 15 and 20 yard plays where, you know, he gets something after the run, but not, not a ton. Uh, I also noticed that how careful he is not to absorb monster hits over the middle or to, you know, just slide out of bounds rather than, risk injury, getting another yard or two. And I think that's extremely smart, obviously for him and the, and, and the offense in general, I, you know, he's leading the league in, in receiving yards. I mean, he, he he's a, he's a tight end. I, I'm going to ask you to fact check that on me because <laughs> right now. I didn't know that because, because they talked about it throughout the broadcast. I, I looked it up and it, you know, he was
3: second, but now uh-huh. he should be first. Uh, You are correct. I am correct. DK Metcalf came into this week in 12 games with 1,119 yards. Yeah. Travis Kelsey, just five yards behind him with 1,114 yards. Uh, Third is Tyreek Hill. Um, So yes, Travis Kelsey had more today than DK Metcalf did. I did not know that. Yes. I mean, that's kind of like seeing the forest, the trees type thing. Like you get so into the weeds here that you've, that's incredible, and that I, could easily happen and close the year like that too. Yes, absolutely. And I was, I was embarrassed that I didn't know that. You know, I
1: just was
2: I,
3: like this right now. I, I'm glad that you don't. <laughs> I'm you know I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm here to be a bad football analyst with you, Denny. Right. If I can do anything for you, that's it.
2: It's, it's, it is. I think that it's just something that we're as as fantasy players and analysts. I feel like we're not talking about it enough, and that includes myself. Obviously, I'm the one who said, "Oh wow, he's leading the league in re- receiving yards." Who That's knew? Crazy. You know, and and um,
3: it's 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 one of the bigger storylines in fantasy this year. I don't know if we need to say anything about him, but I thought it was really good to see Clyde Edwards-Healy dominate the backfield. I mean, he did see 16 carries just for 32 yards, but also in the receiving game, six targets, five receptions, 59 yards, in comparison to Le'Veon Bell's four total touchdowns. Or excuse me, touches okay. in that backfield. Mm-hmm. Four touchdowns would be a lot. Um, okay, let's look at Miami. Tua Tagovailoa was asked to do a lot in this game, Dene Carter. The stat line might not look great. 28 of 48, 316, two touchdowns, one interception. Look at the passing chart, though, and it's not, you know, this Ben Roethlisberger, you know, hmm. throw 37 passes that don't travel 10 yards down the field. Yeah. I mean, these were spread all over. And he didn't have Mike Kosicki for a portion of this game. He didn't have Devontae Parker. We know Preston Williams has been out. We know the running back situation, so on and so forth. What I'm trying to force you to say is (laughs) this overall probably was an impressive showing from Tua. It was. It
2: really was. And he was smart about where he threw the ball here. Um, He targeted his tight ends 12 times today. Uh, which coming into the game in, and looking at how Kansas City is most successfully attacked, it is via the tight end usually. And so Mike Kosecki had 65 yards and two touchdowns uh, after he exited uh, Smythe and um, Adam Sh- uh, Sheehan. Shaheen. Shaheen. I always say Shaheen. <laughs> Shaheen. Uh, they they got some targets, especially in the red zone and, and uh, Shaheen in the end zone. So uh, he he knew how to get at this KC defense. And I thought that was impressive. And he did it without Devontae Parker, mm-hmm. uh, who was out for basically the entire game. I think Parker had one target uh, and, and did not catch it. Uh, and then Jakeem Grant, who uh, exited in the first half and didn't come back. So uh, to a put up these numbers uh, with, let's see, with Mac Hollins yep, uh, and with uh, Lynn Bowden, who was, was, who was fantastic. I mean, who was really good after the catch um, and, and looked like someone who, you know, they should
3: get involved. Yeah. Bowden and Hollins both had nine targets, which led the team. Mike Asicki before he did leave was fantastic. Six targets, five receptions, 65 yards and two touchdowns. Just closing the book here in Tua. Um, one, there were some drops earlier on, like over the middle of the field, that were really aggressive. That if they hit, his stat line would have been great. And I also think Denny, you know, because he doesn't have a cannon like Justin Herbert or Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, mm-hmm. that's an easy flaw for people to latch onto and just say, like, ah, uh, he's you know not going to be a great quarterback. But I think today was a massive step in the right direction and showed a lot that he. He he can be a very good starting quarterback in this league. He was aggressive mm-hmm. when he wanted to be, when he needed to be, and then also was patient and poised and create on his own. We need to do that as well. So his yards per attempt and
2: and yards per completion are actually pretty high. Uh, you know, coming into this game and then and then probably that remains so today. So yeah, I mean, he doesn't have the Josh Allen type arm, but again, no one does. And uh, uh, but he's he's able you know he's able to complete those passes when when he needs to. The one thing I, I would say about Tua is that he should take off more. He should hmm. get out of the pocket. He looks he looks like he's really focused on being a pocket passer at all costs. And I get it. I I I, I get that like a quarterback wants to be a quarterback. But he is really good outside the pocket. And I would hope and think that the team would eventually say, like, you know, use your instincts more, you know, than than, than you are. Because he, and when he did that today, he was very good.
3: Any quick notes in this running back position? Because we saw on Sunday that, uh, excuse me, Saturday that Miles Gaston was placed in the reserve COVID list. Mm-hmm. That means DeAndre Washington got 13 carries for 35 yards, add another two catches for 17, and then just Patrick Laird four carries for. 19 yards and had one catch for four yards
2: yeah so Laird is not coming in on passing downs uh it's it's DeAndre Washington's backfield while Gaskin and uh, Salvin Ahmed are out Gaskin is reportedly going to miss uh, week 15 we'll see about Ahmed and his shoulder injury that, that that has lingered a lot longer than people thought it would so uh Washington could could get another start and it's not like a split backfield it's not like Washington is getting you know the the rushing attempts the early down work and Laird is getting uh, the passing down work it's just Washington so uh, yeah I mean he he has some some fantasy appeal as long as he's kind of the last man standing in the
3: backfield I know that's not a ringing endorsement but it's something mm. and I think if the Ravens win the Dolphins are on the outside looking in of the playoff hunt, but I really want them to make it, Denny, because mm-hmm. I mean Xavier Howard had an unreal interception today. I think we're trying to see we're starting to see Tua, despite again all the skill position injuries, really coming to his own. Uh, I, I want them to have more games in sixteen this year. Let's put it that way. All right, other game that you had Washington beat San Francisco, yes, mm-hmm. uh, twenty three to fifteen. Washington almost five hundred. They're six and seven now on the year. I believe they're first in the NFC East. Look out. I don't know how this happened, though, looking at this box score, Denny. I mean, no Antonio <laughs> Gibson. So, J.D. McKissick came in and was better on the ground than in the mm-hmm. air. 11 mm-hmm. carries, 68 yards, two catches for 18 yards. But the two quarterbacks, yes, two quarterbacks combined, Alex Smith and Dwayne Haskins, for just 95 passing yards. So, how the heck did Washington win? Two defensive touchdowns, and that was the
2: entire ball game. It was a, a fumble Recovery for a touchdown by Chase Young, who is, you know, defensive Derrick Henry right now uh, and was just incredibly intimidating running down the sideline for that touchdown. And then um, and then it was a pick for a touchdown late in the game, just a backbreaking interception by Nick Mullins. Nick Mullins box score didn't look bad. And like you no. like you have said, you know, you have mm-hmm. said several times, you know, in the end, he kind of posts OK numbers.
3: But wow, he is a disaster. It's, it's so brutal to watch. Like you think he's a bottom, he I mean, he is a bottom three, <laughs> bottom five quarterback in the NFL when you watch him. But you cover your eyes, and then Denny. At the end of the day, you see Brandon Ayuk has 16 targets, 10 receptions, 119 yards, and you love Nick Mullins for it. That's right, and and Brandon Ayuk
2: could have had 200 yards with a more proficient quarterback uh, here. He he was missed Ayuk was missed over the middle twice on, on balls with his, you know, after the catchability they, they, they were touchdowns, you know, they, mm-hmm. they would be long touchdowns and, and he was just totally missed. Same with Jordan Reed, Jordan Reed uh, uh, Mullins missed him at least once, maybe twice over the middle with hospital balls uh, that you wouldn't believe. So uh, it was, it was a, a horrible game for Mullins. Uh, he's the only reason the 49ers lost. They, they would have, one they would have won if, if they ju- if they had uh that Broncos quarterback from a few weeks ago, uh and the, the receiver. Kendall Hinton. Yeah, can K- put Kendall Hinton
3: in there and they win. Um I think you're and, taking the bit too far now, but they, 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 I, I, I understand later. I understand the point <laughs> that you're trying to make. Uh a couple more players and I'll get you out of here. Um Tara McLaurin. I understand Washington can't throw the ball, but who else are they supposed to throw the football to? And then he only ended with six targets, two receptions. And 24 yards. I mean, the ceiling has kind of vanished with Alex Smith. Um, The floor seems to now have vanished a little bit as well. And I understand that Alex Smith had like a calf strain and that's why he didn't return. But I think it's kind of arguable right now, which one you'd rather want a quarterback in order Mm -hmm. for Terry McLaurin to hit value. I think it's Alex Smith. You know, I, 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 I would have said differently
2: a while, you know, six weeks ago, but i think that the offense just doesn't function with haskins and also the, the 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 team uh desperately just wants to take the air out of the ball when when haskins is in there like they they don't want him to do anything and it's clear it's very clear by the way that they call plays the offense is a little more opened up if that's believable with with alex smith in there and and you know getting back to mckissick for a second um and it's another case of of screen passes uh, being a quarterback stat because mm. you know Alex Smith missed the second half, uh, and McKissick did not see a target in the second half. So he saw all four of his targets in the in the first half. He probably would have seen four or more in the second half. Um, weirdly, he had eleven carries. Uh, that may have had, has had something to do with Peyton Barber. He Peyton Barber missed some time with a rib injury, I believe, or a chest injury. He was it was un- unclear. He did he missed about two series. And so McKissick just stayed in there and, and took all the carries. Um, otherwise, I would guess that Barber would have had a bigger edge uh, in the in the rushing attempts.
3: I thought you were just going to say that's because Peyton Barber is Peyton Barber because he had 14 touches for uh, 38 yards in this yeah. game. Finally, on the running back side for San Francisco, um, Jeff Wilson was the one who got the touchdown.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: He got 31 yards on 11 carries. Um but Raheem Mostert did really well in terms of his efficiency. 14 carries, 65 yards. Mostert seemed to be in and out of the lineup today.
2: Yes, Mostert uh, suffered a possible concussion. He was evaluated for a concussion in the first half. He returned to the game apparently unconcussed, and uh, and then took over as the lead back again and had a had a good game. You know, uh, if the Niners had any sort of neutral game script in the second half it looked for all the world like like he was on his way to a 100 yard game uh maybe a touchdown in there he missed out on the touchdown because he was he was being evaluated for the concussion um and jeff wilson came in jeff wilson got nicked up too uh, again unclear something with his shin or his foot he looked like he was in a lot of pain uh like jeff wilson seems to always be and i i feel terrible for him because he's so effective when he gets the chance but yeah moster moster was good and moster gets the cowboys next week so we we know what that means
3: and debo left immediately with what
2: with a hamstring and kyle shanahan was not optimistic uh and so, yeah, after the game he said uh it doesn't doesn't look good and, and it was clear. I mean, you could tell by the, you know, the way that Debo Samuel uh, handled the injury, you know, the look on his face, took off his helmet, limped to the sideline, didn't talk to anybody. He, he put on a hat right away. He knew he was done. And, you know, this, the, what the, we know what this means, is that Brandon Ayuk is probably like a borderline wide receiver one, even with Nick Mullins, even with – we can expect double-digit targets, We can expect manufactured touches. Um, It's very exciting for anybody who has Brandon Ayuk on their team.
1: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's.
2: Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with
1: any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Out of their
3: bye week, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers improved to 8-5 on the season, beating the Minnesota Vikings 26-14. John Daigle, you had this game. Uh, Daigle, there were a lot of questions, again, heading into the bye week for the Bucs, namely how Tom Brady and this offense were working. And operating well on the day 15 to 23, 196, two touchdowns, one touchdown going to Scotty Miller, his only catch of 48 yards, and the other one to Rob Gronkowski. Do we have any answers now at the end of week 14?
6: We did not through the first quarter. It very much seemed like they learned absolutely nothing over their bye week. Having said that, it finally started rolling in the second half. Uh, Brady, of course hit Scotty Miller to give the team the lead seven to six, a, a good deep ball, 48 yards downfield. But throughout the first half still, it's almost like Brady's veteran mental clock broke because I wouldn't even say he was under pressure by the Vikings. He just missed. And when you go back, you'll see this. He missed Godwin. He missed Evans and he missed, uh, uh, Ronald Jones from the backfield wide open, like crazily wide open in the first half, just having that three-second timer, and then suddenly he just panicked and there's no one around him. And so I was worried that this offense would still again fall apart like they did at some points that we can never predict before the bye week. But they did catch on, uh, leaned on the run heavily in the second half. We'll talk about that in a second. Overall, it was really just in the first half, they ran 24 plays to the Hmm. Vikings' 40 because the Vikings were dinking and dunking along the way and across the field. They didn't mean to like Tom Brady's not Patrick Mahomes. They're not trying to play keep away from the Bucs offense. Who cares? But what happened, not to jump across offenses here, but the Bucs, did actually keep Kirk cousins under pressure the entire time. Hence his career high 41 rushing yards because he was, he was either trying to dump the ball off the tight ends or get out of the pocket immediately. Whereas Brady again was not under pressure, just a poor performance in the first half.
3: Yeah. Just closing out here on the buck side, uh, 56 yards on five targets for Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, 49 yards Mm -hmm. on five targets. Chris Godwin just 25 yards on three targets. Again, the passing volume, was not there. Um, I would say, Dagle won. We know that the Bucks have a winning record. They're going to make the playoffs. And if they can continue to you know, learn on the fly, which I think a lot of it this year seems to be reps, especially what we always hear about with Tom Brady, closing the season with the Falcons, the Lions, and the Falcons, pretty good opponents to try to get right as you hit that stretch uh, of the playoffs. Um, we need to also turn to Sunday morning. Sunday morning, we learned that Leonard Fournette was going to be a healthy scratch. Mm-hmm. That means that Ronald Jones was going to own that backfield and carries, which he did 18 for 80 yards and one touchdown did have two targets as well. But then, and we should have talked about this in roll live. That also meant that LaShawn McCoy was going to get more work as well, but just in the form of four carries, 32 yards and one catch for three yards.
6: It wasn't even really more work. It was the two-minute drill, which is what we probably could have pinpointed him on, honestly. Ronald Jones still with 19 of the team's 25 backfield touches was the true bell cow here among this backfield. And... He gets the Falcons, as you said, next week. So if this happens again, given the landscape of the position, we already mentioned on the show Sunday morning, he was a top 10 play. And I understand like the results probably did not get him there when the dust settles, but still to handle 19 touches, score a touchdown on back-to-back carries from inside the 10-yard line, like that's the workhorse role and touches we want. So Ronald Jones, again, if Fournette, if they're just done with this experiment altogether, Jones will close out the year as for sure, a top 12 option weekly.
3: All right, Minnesota side. We know it's a narrow offense. We know Kirk Cousins has had it inside of him to throw it deep at times a season. Uh, well, today, 24 37, 225, one touchdown. And I think the, the number that stands out, you mentioned the 41 rushing yards because he was just on his horse trying to get out of that pocket. He also took six sacks. Yep. I mean, they must have just been in his face. Todd Bowles had a nice game plan heading into this. And obviously, the pass rushing talent. Outweighed the Vikings' ability to pass protect. Um, but then all those passing yards, Daigle, the two leading receivers were Irv freaking Smith with 63 and a touchdown, and Tyler Frickin Conklin with five catches and 40 yards. How the hell did that happen? The dump downs, two tight ends.
6: So you would not think this offense was effective. That's what's funny here. But what happened is that they were slowly, like I said, 40 first half plays, driving the field incrementally and getting down there. But we also know that Dan Bailey, or maybe you don't know, three Mm. missed field goals, a whiffed extra point, so 10 points basically given up in this game, which made the score seem larger than it was because the Vikings were moving the field with... Uh, 12 minutes left in the second quarter, Dalvin Cook had already exceeded the amount of rushing yards the Bucks had allowed to any other running back this year. So he was actually owning them. Um, His 100 rushing yards in this game were clearly more than the Bucs had allowed to any running back all season long. So I would actually say a terrific performance, and again, one without Alexander Madison. Uh, you would think when you go back and watch this, you'll see them mixing in Mike Boone and Amir Abdullah. Even throughout the first quarter, to give Dalvin Cook a br- breather. But it wasn't because, like, he's injured. It's because, like, he had 11 carries through midway through the second quarter. They were just pounding the rock. We know that's what they want to do. And when they did lean on Kirk Cousins, it was efficient. But again, when your kicker misses all these field goals, which led Mike Zimmer and the media afterwards to even question, like, if Dan Bailey's going to be around tomorrow, would not be surprising if he's not. Uh, then, yeah, that's what really happened in this game.
3: Dalvin Cook did have 102 yards and a score, as you mentioned, on 22 carries. I do want to ask, though, because, I mean, at a pivotal first week of the fantasy playoffs, Adam Thielen goes out there on four targets, gets 39 yards. Justin Jefferson, 39 yards on eight targets. Was this just a case of – because we know they're extremely talented. Carlton Davis, Jamal Dean, I can name a few other people in the Bucs secondary. Was it them locking up the wide receivers one-on-one and doing a great job at the catch point point, not allowing separation? Or was it also that there was so much disruption that Kirk Cousins was dealing with that he could not fire, you know, those 7 plus, 15 plus yard throws that have been getting Justin Jefferson and others these big stat lines in the past?
6: Whereas it's easy to explain the Bucks wide receivers and what happened. Brady, of course, only 23 attempts, right? And uh, Chris Godwin had those sutures removed from his finger, mm-hmm. surgically repaired finger. And I would imagine when NFL released their snap counts in the morning, Godwin probably would have played fewer than Antonio Brown, whereas Brown was getting concerted usage near the line of scrimmage. We can sum that all up easily. We have reasoning for all of it. But for the Vikings, there's really nothing else outside of Kirk Cousins was pressured and they were inefficient throws downfield. Uh, Adam Thielen did have what seems like a weekly opportunity for a one-hand grab in the back corner of the end zone, and he almost had hauled it in again, which would not have been surprising. But this one, of course, bounced off his hand this time. Whereas Justin Jefferson was getting a a lot of empty air yards, a lot of targets downfield that weren't even efficient. He did have a a bobbled 50-50 throw in the end zone. But other than that, the eight targets were just chunked downfield
3: towards him in Mm -hmm. very tight coverage. Some might call them prayer yards. They are a You're picking up. <laughs> All right. The other game that you had uh, was much worse. Oh, Look, my God. I don't even know. The, I think the spread was like 17 and a half or something like that in this game. But the Seattle Seahawks in the end beat the New York Jets 40 to three. John Daigle, 40 to three. We wondered, and I think Pat namely did in our preview show, our game by game preview show, that, like, well, if the spread is so high, how much time is Russell Wilson? going to stick in this game and if he's going to get you know enough opportunity to make it a major stat line this week well when you're favored by that much and the defense is that bad you're going to be efficient and put up points and that's why the spread is so wide anyways today russ 21 of 27 206 four touchdowns one interception i mean dk metcalf 61 yards on eight targets one score keep uh, went on the list. DJ Moore, Tyler Lockett, 52 yards. Not DJ Moore, David Moore. Um, Freddie Swain got a score, so on and so forth. Anyways, Stakel, how'd Seattle do it? I mean, this is an embarrassment for an NFL team uh peek behind the
6: curtains really quick and we can tell everyone that i texted you midway basically at halftime say like, hey over with let's record this like we're, we're good to go early night for us but you were the professional one said mm-hmm. an injury could happen here in the fourth quarter no big deal and i was like yeah you're absolutely right but literally we could have recorded this at the end of the third quarter and nothing would have changed this game was over from the very beginning Uh, Remember, we talked about on the Sunday morning show that the Seahawks team total had progressively been bet up and increased every single day this week to the second highest total right behind the Packers on the week. And I was concerned because their offense had not been proven efficient. Uh, they, They hadn't run the ball well. They hadn't thrown the ball well. Russ was getting hit behind the line of scrimmage. He was turning the ball over at a high rate the past five games. I was concerned. But I forgot the golden rule. It doesn't matter when you're playing the Jets. Literally, nothing matters at all. It's it's the perfect get right spot. And that's what happened here. Russ wasn't just benched in the fourth quarter. He was benched with two minutes left in the third quarter. It didn't matter at all. It was 37 to 3, and there was not a concern at any point of Sam Donald in this offense threatening the Seahawks. And It it was like even Russ's flaws when you look at this game, uh, his one pick was a 50-50 ball to DK Metcalf in the end end zone, whatever. You give him that chance every single time. And then Freddie Swain also dropped one of those perfect in-the-bucket throws he has, uh, 40 yards downfield. And Swain beat his guy, but he just dropped it over his shoulder. So the day should have been... Even better for Russ. And again, it's the Jets. So it doesn't matter at all. Like the one shakeup in the secondary, of course, was they got bless you on Austin back from injured reserve. So they benched rookie AJ Green. Again, doesn't matter when you're the Jets. What's the upgrade from to bless Austin from AJ Green? Who cares? And Russ just cooked them all. I mean, it's literally that simple. There's no pressure um, yeah. in his throw to... Freddie, Sw- no, his throw to DK Metcalf in the back of the end zone. Like, I guess he shook off, like some guy grabbed his toe, a defender. And he just shook him off real quick and then threw it easily. But there's, there's literally nothing to see here. If you are paid to rewatch games, do not rewatch this game. You've missed nothing.
3: I do want to bring up Chris Carson because this okay. is a player who's been dealing with injuries, and this must have been his best performance since earlier in the season against the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, twelve carries, seventy six yards, and a score. You know and I should say three catches on five targets and 22 yards, you know, if this game was tighter, he would have gotten fed. But I think we can at least say that he has his explosion back, right?
6: I will say that he actually left for a brief period in the second quarter, uh, limped off, and I do wonder if it's the same foot injury he's been battling even since he returned from injury the past two games. That's why he was seeding touches to Carlos Hyde, and that happened again here. Of course he had an efficient outing. Uh at the end of the third quarter he had 12 carries to Hyde's 10 and that's when Carson just like Russ just like Metcalf just like Lockett all hit the bench and then the the rest of them came in for the Geno Smith revenge game we were not expecting to see. And yeah. uh, Carlos Hyde handled the load from there. Having said that like you said, he looked good. We'll see if he recovers in time for next week he'll probably be fine but what we really want is a bell cow and the last three games including this one we haven't got it maybe we can point to him getting benched for this one but again if he was already hobbling around maybe we wouldn't have seen it in the fourth quarter so still lots of question there but again going back to the landscape of the position still a strong rb2 fringe rb1 because of the touches he's still receiving and one of the better offenses in
3: the league and I believe that Jamal Adams set an NFL record for sacks by a safety. Now, it's not like sacks have been tracked for that long in the NFL spectrum, but he did surpass Adrian Wilson, who is now a personnel executive, I believe, with the Arizona Cardinals, uh, by getting his eight and a half, eight and a half sacks this season, um, which is kind of wild to think about because Jamal Williams missed a handful of games this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that speaks to... I mean, Sam Darnold, every time I looked up, Daigle was absolutely atrocious. And it wasn't just the blocking that was bad. I mean, he, even when the blocking was good, was throwing it basically straight to the Seattle defensive backs and they didn't intercept any. But he is not good. He is Carson Wentz broken.
6: Like, he is a broken man. Uh, I, I'm sure I really still think someone can recover him, but uh, it ain't happening this year for sure because they're just throwing him to the wolves out there. Uh, Frank Gore, remember, was a game time call going through concussion protocol and he got cleared and they still went right back to him. The touch count with his team tying eight carries uh, are, are only out of whack because of the game script like had they been competitive they're never competitive so it doesn't matter but had they been competitive it would have been frank gore for 15 plus touches again uh he was only benched when it got out of hand but he did open the game as a team starter unsurprisingly over josh adams and ty johnson the only takeaway literally the only takeaway is that as expected jameson crowder more of an emergency option for shallow routes, since he didn't Mm. practice on friday got injured on thursday And what we saw was exactly what we expected, what we've seen in the past. Braxton Berrios comes in, makes the most of what he can do in this offense. Uh, A little talented player. Honestly, like I'm kind of impressed every time I watch Braxton Berrios almost had a touchdown, almost hauled in a call. that got negated on the sideline. That was very impressive where he tried to drag the second toe. Uh, He does have a rapport with Sam Darnold every time he starts for Jamison Crowder in the slot. And of course, Rashad Perryman, it comes down to whether he's not whether or not he's going to haul in one of his two chances, 40 yards downfield. But this was not the game for
3: any of them. The Dallas Cowboys beat the Cincinnati Bengals in a game of two losing franchises, 32-7. One is way worse than the other, Chris Allen. And unfortunately, you watch that one more often than the other one. Um, Let's talk about the Cincinnati Bengals because I did not watch a second of this because I knew that you were going to be tortured to do it. Um, (laughs) So I I left that responsibility up to you. But what I did see and what I did track was – the running back usage for this Bengals team immediately. I mean, Gio Bernard lost a fumble early on, and I believe Travion Williams came in and lost a fumble himself, and then Samaj P. Ryan got carries. Was that the highlight of this game, just the incompetency that we get from the Bengals week in and week out?
0: Pretty much, because it was very confusing to see i mean the fumbles in succession but then it was Samaj p rhyme that uh, he's the one that gets let out of the doghouse early and then geo bernard is the one having the least amount of touches like out of the trio which i which made absolutely no sense to me i mean unless this is a uh, unless it's a move by Cincinnati saying that, all right, season's over, let's pack it in, let's see what we have in our other guys, because they already know what, they, what they've what they gotten in, in Geo, I mean, with the extension and whatnot. So maybe that's maybe that was their plan. I mean, they wanted to take a look at the other guys, but still it was just baffling to see how much usage dropped off. After the fumble, but yet we still saw Samaji prerun getting uh, getting work within the goal line. I mean, the target share across the three of them was fairly split. I mean, they, yeah. I think each had like two or three targets. So it was just bizarre to see how Cincinnati approached using all three of them, despite the fact that they were just getting I mean, completely mauled like by by the Cowboys, which is something that we didn't really expect to see. I yeah. mean, given given Dallas' struggles over the past couple of weeks, but still, it was it was pretty bad.
3: I think p- part of this, though, is pointing to the differences between Brandon Allen and Andy Dalton, but we'll get into that in a moment. Uh, yeah, like you mentioned it, and Williams, the one who had 12 carries, only took it for 49 yards. Samaje so Piran had 10 carries, 32 yards, and Geo just eight yards on his three carries. And if, you know, week 14 could not get any weirder, we had A.J. Green's best game of the season on seven targets, six receptions, 62 yards, and one score. What looked different this week in comparison to other weeks really nothing i mean that was the actually
0: the surprising part other than him just getting the workload i mean he hadn't seen a red zone target i believe since week 12 and then all of a sudden i mean brandon allen continues to pummel him with targets he had four red zone targets in succession i believe on one of the uh, the, pretty much their only scoring drive and that's what propelled aj green into one of his best uh his best uh, fantasy outings of the season and now but still if you look at his targets overall I mean, he still was, I think, third or fourth uh, mm-hmm. in targets on the team. I mean, just an 18, 4, I think 18, 18.4% 18. target share. So we still can't really rely on him on a, on a week-to-week basis. I would not re- recommend him moving forward, but it was still just odd to see how the targets uh, just shifted from where we thought it was going to be more of T. Higgins, uh, Tyler Boyd, uh, but then now it's A.J. Green, the one that's uh, taking on the, the touchdown work.
3: Yeah, T. Higgins on eight targets had 49 yards and Tyler Boyd on nine targets had 43 yards. Um, Before we get to the Cowboys, I'm going to ask you the most generic Cincinnati Bengals question here. Mm -hmm. And if it's unanswerable or if you don't want to make a comment here, I understand. But I feel like as we dwindle down and since you are someone who tracks the team, I need to ask this question. We are basically 32 games. We're inching closer to that number. Into Zach Taylor's reign. What does Zach Taylor bring as an offensive mind, as an NFL coach that you think is positive, that you appreciate, that with a good team, with a better roster, would make him a good coach? I think that the uh, the
0: one thing that I immediately saw when he took over for the team in 2019 was just his emphasis on the passing game. Now, while it was still Andy Dalton that was under center, we still at least were able to see a, a couple of blow up games from Andy Dalton, especially towards the the end of his tenure. I think it was Week 16 against against Miami. I think he wound up as the QB one or QB two. Uh, with like three or four touchdown passes, so I mean he was it, and like the you could see from an offensive standpoint the team starting to respond to his aggressive nature. I think they were top five or tops, uh, I think like at least top ten uh, in neutral passing rate to close out the season. So. Shifting from the boring, slow, uh, slow-paced uh, Marvin Lewis offense to what we saw in 2019, I was excited for that. Like, even if we knew that Andy Dalton wasn't going to be a part of the offense and Joe Burrow was going to be essentially like their starting quarterback, even though he hadn't been even been drafted yet. But if you had a better quarterback in that roster, I mean, T. Higgins being added to the the roster as well. I mean, this was an offense that we at least saw could be at least relevant for fantasy production, and I still think that's the case. I mean, even with uh, T Higgins, I think he came into this game like with the with the hamstring injury. I mean, but still, we saw at least some decent production, even from T Higgins to AJ Green, all the way down to Drew Sample. I mm-hmm. mean, Drew Sample now with three, four targets uh, the past four weeks, still now being a part of uh, I mean, decent part of uh, the passing offense. So now instead of just relying on a single asset uh, or t- one or two assets in AJ Green and Tyler Boyd over the past couple of years, we now see at least a few other options within that passing game that we can probably take into 2021 as something we can rely on.
3: I think that's a good answer. And I really like that when they were down and they were down a lot earlier this season, uh, he would basically just put the reins and the keys into Joe Burrow's hands. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, sink or swim in those situations. And I think Joe Burrow learned a lot in those situations, but he understands that, hey, we're not just going to stick to our game plan if it's not working. And I'm sure that they practice, you know, those down to score uh, situations. So uh, just passing and and we've seen with Sean McVay in the past, you know, when they're down by a lot, they just abandon the run and just go out and pass the football and spread around. So, yeah, I think that's good. I'm still still learning who Zach Taylor is a little bit, but um, I, I think that that's, that that can only be fitting, and, and I think that's very fair for where this Bengals team has been again over the last what 27, 28 games. So.
0: Right. And I, I know that folks will take a look at the, the win-loss record, and it's absolutely fair to place, I mean, to place the blame on Taylor. And we've already heard some rumors about some of the players like not essentially completely buying in to Taylor's offense, but still I can understand why folks would want to be at least concerned about the the future of that team moving forward. But I think, I mean, if they continue to build around Joe Burrow, assuming he's back healthy to start 2021, and who knows, I mean, considering he was injured so late. I mean, they continue to build that offensive line. Uh, We're hoping we get more production, or at least we see Joe Mixon at some point next season. Uh, I think that they can start to turn it around, despite the fact that, I mean, they're going to be playing against the Steelers, the Ravens, the Browns. I I mean, tough defenses at least twice a year moving forward.
3: All right, Dallas side quickly. Andy Dalton only had to throw the football 23 times, completed 16, 185, two touchdowns. Amari Cooper got home 51 yards on five targets and a score. CeeDee Lamb, 46 yards and two targets. Michael Gallup, 23 yards and six targets. And I'm, I only want to ask about really this. This is a game with incredible game script, you know, 20 to seven at halftime, excuse me, after, after the end of the third quarter, another 10 points in the fourth quarter. Why can't Ezekiel Elliott get going in this situation? Like, this has to be one of the few games left in the schedule that we can point to and say, oh, yeah, this could be a 100-yard game for Zeke. And instead, he puts out 12 carries, 48 yards, two catches, 11 yards.
0: It was really frustrating to watch, especially from the jump, because throughout the first and second quarter, it seemed like this was going to be Zeke's game, like where we saw the most of the touches actually start to shift more towards Elliott. I know he had a drop pass, I think, on their first or second drive, but it seemed like the workload was going to shift more towards Zeke, despite the fact that he'd come into this game with a calf strain, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. But after, like in the second half, we started to see more and more of Pollard, I mean, which definitely uh, sucked away a lot of the value uh, from, from Elliott, which on top of that and included four consecutive touches from Pollard in the red zone, which resulted in his short, uh, short uh, reception that ended up in a touchdown. So, I don't know what to do with Zeke moving forward. I mean, overall, it looks like their touches almost split right down the middle. I think it was like 12 to 11 with Zeke having just like one additional touch or one additional rush. Target share also appears to be split. So at this point, if he held on to Pollard uh, for this long, great. Congratulations. I think he he should have at least some decent standalone value moving forward. But if you're still carrying Zeke and if you actually advance to the next round of the playoffs after this week, I don't know if you can trust him moving forward.
3: The Chicago Bears beat the Houston Texans 36 to 7 in what Hayden Winks, I would call the Mitch Trubisky show. 24 of 33, 267, three touchdowns. Hayden, I hate to say this for the entire population of Chicago, but is this the type of performance that can make Ryan Pace and company buy into Mitch for another season? In my blurb, I literally wrote, like, this should not be the type of performance that should
7: do that. (laughs) I did not say that this won't be because I can't rule it out. Um, This is just kind of the Texans missing their top corner. They had another corner out. They weren't really rushing the passer well. Uh, David Montgomery was ripping up open plays in in the run game. And the Texans simply just didn't have a guy to defend Allen Robinson. And they didn't have somebody to defend Jimmy Graham in the red zone either. So this was one of Mitchell Trubisky's easiest games of his entire career. This is a product of the Texans, quite frankly, having absolutely nothing outside of JJ Watt and Deshaun Watson. And on the other side of the ball, it wasn't pretty at all either.
3: Yeah. We know that the Texans open the season as one of the worst defenses in the NFL. And ever since they've only gotten more injured and more suspended. So yes, this is what you get here in week 14 when you're a bad and poorly constructed football team. Uh, let's talk about some of those players. Uh, it's really just two on this team that got them to this point Allen Robinson, 13 targets, nine receptions, 123 yards, and a score. And then on the day, David Montgomery, 11 carries, 113 yards, a touchdown including an 80-yard scoring run. And then he also added 42 yards on four targets. Explosive running back, Hayden Winks.
7: Yeah, when I watched that 80-yard touchdown, I was like – I tweeted this was his fast the fastest he's ever moved and then next gen stats come out 20 minutes later and literally says that was the fastest he's ever ran he finally cracked 20 miles per hour so that was that, I don't know if it this is like he's healthier or something else has clicked or he lost weight I'm not sure what the deal is but David Montgomery is looking a little bit better I do think this is still a function of the teams he's faced in recent week, weeks But that's not going to change. If you look at their schedule again, it's the Vikings and the Jaguars, and I think the Packers after that for the Bears. So David Montgomery, he has basically a three-down workload. He's getting the passing down reps. He's getting the goal line reps. If he's rushing a little bit better himself, that's the cherry on top. But right now he's locked and loaded as an RB1.
3: He probably went on like a juice cleanse or something that is like very 2020 and just you know got rid of all the toxins inside him. And now uh, he's a sprinter. David Montgomery is a sprinter. Uh, Yeah, sure. Cole Komet. Did have seven targets and 41 yards on those, but I, there's really nothing else to say about this Bears offense. Again, it's Montgomery and it's Allen Robinson and against bad defenses, hammer both. Um, Who do the Bears have remaining? Um Next week, Hayden, they do have the Vikings and the Jaguars in the next two. I mean, as disappointing as someone like David Montgomery was, you could potentially be looking at like the fantasy championship winner having him on the roster.
7: Yeah, he's, pro- he's going to be inside my top eight rankings next week, and Allen Robinson's probably going to be in my top eight wide receiver rankings as well. The The difference between Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky being under center for Allen Robinson is a big deal because Nick Foles is a more mature quarterback. Inside the pocket, he's willing to go through all this progressions. Mitchell Trubisky's not that type of player yet. So what that means is on the first read, it's Allen Robinson, and guess what? He's not getting off that, and he's allowing Allen Robinson to – catch some of these 50-50 balls. And like we've seen for years, Allen Robinson is coming down with those 50-50 ball, balls. So I think David Montgomery and Allen Robinson, both top 10 at their positions. Nobody else you can play.
3: Let's now look at the Houston Texans. It was really bad. Just seven points on the day. Deshaun Watson, 21 of 30, 219, one touchdown, was sacked six times and had to run the football as well. I mean, he was trying to get out of the pocket, 38 rushing yards. Um, it Look, there's this narrative and it's a true one that the bears should have selected Deshaun Watson, but on the day he was just on the worst team that got even worse on Sunday without Brandon cooks. And there's only so much a player like Watson can do despite playing so well this season.
7: Yeah. I mean, he's, he was already dealing with a bottom three offensive line, maybe the worst offensive line in, in the NFL. And here's who he threw through the ball to in, in order of most targets this week, Chad Hansen, Jordan Aikens, Steven Mitchell, Kiki Cootie, Duke Johnson, Buddy Howell. I mean, yeah, these these aren't these aren't NFL players, like NFL starting caliber players. So a lot of these sacks were uh, Deshaun Watson trying to create some time in the pocket, but Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks, some of these other guys ended up just ended up crashing the party. And it's going to be tough sledding for for Deshaun Watson. I, he really needs Brandon Cooks back in the lineup. We're not sure if he's going to play Week 15 or not, but. The Texans play the Colts next week on the road for an in-division matchup. A lot of these are the boxes that you check for a floor ba- floor game for Deshaun Watson next week. He really needs Brandon Cooks to be like a top 10, top 12 fantasy quarterback.
3: Yeah, Buddy Howell was the leading rusher with 42 yards and 11 carries. I don't even know who Buddy Howell is. Uh, and then receiving, look – Last week, Kiki Cutie had a lot of yards. Uh, we thought he might be in line for the most targets in this game. As you mentioned, he was not. Just three targets for 24 yards and a score. I mean, I'm not trying to trying to make you answer an unanswerable question here, but is Chad Hanson the most reliable name on that roster right now in terms of catching football? Seven targets, 56 yards.
7: I think there's a better matchup for Chad Hanson. Jalen, Jalen Johnson, the Bears rookie corner, left early and – I think Kiki needs de- needs to play against these zone defenses, and that's why he's exploded against the Colts historically, mm-hmm. struggled more against these man defenses like the Bears played today. And luckily for Kiki next week, they play the Colts again. So his three best games of his career are all against this too deep zone defense for the Colts. So we'll, we'll see what Brandon Cooks' status is. If Brandon Cooks is back, I wouldn't play Chan- Chad Hansen in Week 15. I think I could go back to the well in PPR formats for Kiki, but we know what the floor is right now. The the offense is completely broken. And I, I'm not sure how much the, the Texans want Deshaun Watson just hanging around the pocket when this season's going to waste.
3: He even had to leave this, leave this game at one point, and AJ McCarron stepped in for a couple snaps. All right. That's not good. The other game that you had, a like massively score, high-scoring game. Indianapolis Colts beat the Las Vegas Raiders 44 to 27. That means the Colts are now nine and four. The Raiders are seven and six. Let's all go to the name that it starts off with now for the Colts. Jonathan Taylor, 20 carries 150 yards, two touchdowns on the ground, two catches, 15 yards in the air. There were some massive holes for Jonathan Taylor to run through. There also weren't some, I mean, he was able to create some yards in his own. And even with those massive holes, he is a freak athlete at the running back position. So not every running back, could create and produce the types of big plays that he did in those situations, Hayden.
7: Yeah. With, with running backs, like running backs don't matter if the offensive line is brutal, but once you get into a little bit of space, then it's on the running back to create some plays. And Jonathan Taylor is that type of dude runs under a four, four and he is really strong. He was ripping off huge plays at Wisconsin. And I think over the last two or three weeks, he's got a little more confidence back and I think he's getting understanding the timing of, of these rushing lanes. And he's also just look, looking a little more explosive than normal. So the 20 carries um, when the Colts ran the ball 31 times, including garbage time, I mean, he is the lead back. And it was very evident on, even on the first drive, he had like five or six carries and he was averaging like eight yards of pop on those on the first drive. They let Naheem Hines kind of mix in as like a, uh, the passing down back, maybe a little change of pace back, but it, it's, it's Jonathan Taylor. Jordan Wilkins has been completely removed from the offense. So I think next week against the Texans, Jonathan Taylor's a, definitely an RB one. He's got all of the athleticism. He's now got the workload, the matchup. He's, he's basically checked every single box, except maybe you can argue the passing game box, but I mean, the, the Colts should be favored by like a touchdown against the Colts next week.
3: Yeah. It's uh Look, we talked about David Montgomery having an 80-yard run. Jonathan Taylor had a 62-yard run. Uh, look, not the only player to really break out in this game, though. T.Y. Hilton, seven targets, five receptions, 86 yards, two touchdowns. You mentioned that this team has the Texans next week. We just saw Allen Robinson have a massive day. I joked in the slack heading into today's game, and I'll admit this, that I thought at points of this season, it looked like T.Y. Hilton couldn't sprint to the level he used to. But these last few weeks, Hayden, have been glorious.
7: Yeah, he took a week off, like week 11, I, I, I say. I, I wonder if he was playing through a, a nagging injury that just kind of he never was able to get over until he finally missed the game. Because these last couple of weeks, he looks like a different player. And I hate to just go box score chasing. But I do think that there is something to the, the Colts offense, finding a rhythm with Phillip Rivers. The offensive line looks better. They're getting a balanced rushing attack. T.Y. Helden looks healthier himself. And like we said with uh, with Jonathan Taylor, I mean the matchup next week cannot get better. T.Y. Hilton has absolutely roasted the Texans in previous. I mean, for, I mean for his entire career, he's made a made a big living on roasting the Texans, and and now they don't have Bradley Roby, Phillip Gaines, some other guys in the secondary. I mean T.Y. Hilton, even though he's a 31 year old, hmm. he's a, he's a wide receiver three again.
3: And Hines did have 11 touches for about 75 yards, which is I think notable in a situation where the Colts just had so much positive game script. All right. Um, let's look at the Raiders side of this. I guess we start with Josh Jacobs. Uh, he sent out this tweet ahead of the game saying, Oh, I'm not going to play. And it had three crying faces on it, but like laugh crying. And so, you know, us millennials or whatever you're called, uh, can perceive that as him joking. Uh, a lot of the football collective did not perceive him as joking with that. And in fact, some probably got upset with him one who cares. Look, we sit there and criticize football players all the time. They're allowed to have some fun with us if they want to Hayden winks. But uh, I guess at the end, what wasn't great was Josh Jacobs day, just 13 carries 49 yards, three catches 25 yards. How do he look in his return to the lineup?
7: Yeah, Josh, Josh Jacobs, just an internet troll. And like, we're, we're used to this. We have to just see through it. And once he was active and once we saw Theo Riddick was inactive and he was going through pregame warmups, you knew that Josh Jacobs was going to be getting his typical workload. But like what you said, game script got away from him. And then this this is exactly what happened. Josh Jacobs kind of gets funneled out of the offense. You saw a lot more Devontae Booker in the second half of this game just because the Raiders were losing. And when that happened if, and Jake Josh Jacobs hasn't scored a touchdown in the first half, He's basically useless. So he's either an RB1 in good game scripts or like an RB2, RB3 in bad game scripts. So it, he's really matchup dependent. We knew this last year. We were hoping this wasn't going to be the case this year. But nothing's changed. When the the Raiders are down, in comes Devontae Booker, Jalen Rashard, Theo Riddick. It doesn't really matter. It's just not J- Josh Jacobs down there on catching passes.
3: Just to make you smile, Hayden Winks, uh, Deontay Johnson just dropped a third and seven pass across the middle of the field. That would have been an easy first down just to let you know. All right. What a surprise. right. Let's keep going with this Raiders team. Speaking of wide receivers, uh, Nelson Aguilar was easily the leader, five receptions on nine targets, hundred yards and a score after his massive week. 13 Darren Waller comes out 10 targets, 75 yards. How'd that passing game overall look today? They pieced it together like, but it wasn't, it wasn't
7: an explosive attack. They were kind of settling for a lot of things over the middle. I think that the Colts defense kind of changed up some of their looks and gave the Raiders just enough hesitation. And they don't really have enough guys out there to like win consistently. They're not using Henry Ruggs still. So it's Nelson Aguilar who's had a great season. He's averaging like 10 yards per target this year. And he's already up to over 600 yards on the season. So that's good for him, but it's just Darren Waller is, is the guy over the middle, but they're still lacking enough dudes out there just in general. I mean, Hunter Renfro mixed in a little bit, but when Derek Carr isn't willing to like let it rip downfield this there's a there's definitely a ceiling to the Raiders offense I think the floor is all right but the ceiling is still in question
3: no sacks for either team on a combined let me do the math here 74 pass attempts I mean that that is wild you rarely see that in today's NFL I mean I that would make sense with Philip Rivers even though Anthony Costanzo left early on this game and then Quentin Nelson had to move to left tackle um, because their offensive line is so talented. But for Derek Carr to attempt 45 passes and not be sacked, I think that goes back to the root of him just wanting to get the football out of his hands before pressure actually gets there.
7: Yeah, the good news is Costanzo came back in. He didn't leave oh. momentarily, but that was a good sign that he was able to return just for their outlook uh, moving forward. The, the big picture for the Raiders is that they've invested a lot of pieces on their defense over the last couple of years. They're getting basically nothing in return for all of them. and Farrell left early. Jonathan Abram left early, but Jonathan Abram has been seriously one of the worst defenders in all of football right now. He loves attacking the run, but he is a just an, a walking error in the pass game. So they they still need to figure out their defense as well. So I think Coach Coach Green is doing a good job with the offense, just in general, kind of like piecing things together. But the Raiders are still multiple pieces away on both
3: sides of the ball. The Denver Broncos beat the Carolina Panthers 32 to 27, and probably Drew Locke's best game of his career. It's up there, if not number one. 21 to 27, 280, four touchdowns. He was really poised. He was really patient. And this was without Garrett Bowles' his left tackle, who had an illness this morning. And then it was out Noah Fant who left in the first quarter with an illness. Locke was allowing, you know, the offensive line to block form to go through his progressions. Even when he was, you know, buying himself some time and holding onto the football, he was making good decisions on his throws. And then when it was the Perfect play call against a defense that it would work perfectly against. He hit the big place. And mainly those went to KJ Hamler, the rookie second-round pick out of Penn State, who's an absolute burner. We haven't seen it much this season, but he finished the day on three targets, two receptions, 86 yards, two touchdowns. Both long scores against Russell Douglas, who is a slow cornerback. And in those situations, the Panthers sent pressure packages Which left Douglas isolated in a one-on-one situation, and he just simply could not stay with KJ Hamler there. I was monitoring, you know, Broncos Twitter during this, and there are some that believe that like Drew Locke needs more time as a starting quarterback of the Denver Broncos. There are others that were worried that a performance like this, and if there are three more to the to end the season, that it could mean another season of Drew Locke as quarterback, and really the goal should be to find a better option. I don't think he's played well from start to finish the season, there might be some high moments, but there are a lot of low moments and including a forced fumble in today's game. But, you know, it's up to John Elway or it's up to whoever's going to make that decision. But again, coming up with like that big of a decision after today's performance that was great might be difficult. And, you know, Jerry Judy and Drew Locke like just don't fit well together, it seems like. Um, just four targets, two receptions, 42 yards. Now, granted, it was really good game script that the Broncos were operating in. And then Tim Patrick, five targets, three receptions, 36 yards, and a touchdown, a really short touchdown that was basically a manufactured touch for him near the goal line. Melvin Gordon was a clear better player than Phillip Lindsay. On just two more carries, he gained 44 extra yards on the ground, but the opportunity is basically split 50-50 right now in the Broncos' backfield. Uh, meanwhile, in Carolina, we know that no Christian McCaffrey. We also know no D.J. Moore. And you know, the lack of D.J. Moore in this passing offense probably lowered the ceiling. Now, sure, it most likely gave Robbie Anderson one or two extra targets. He finished with 12, caught eight for 84 yards. But this was not a good Teddy Bridgewater afternoon. 30-40, of 283, did have a rushing score on 31 yards. And that's kind of where the Broncos have allowed some quarterback production this year, is on the ground. But until like halfway through the third quarter into the fourth quarter, this passing offense was going nowhere. I mean, Curtis Samuel didn't have a single catch in the first half. In the second half, he had nine targets, seven receptions, and sixty-eight yards. You know, I think the Panthers have the fewest amount of three and outs in the NFL. They started their first drive in each half with one today. They just couldn't get it going. Joe Brady and Teddy Bridgewater were not firing. And then, you know, this team had a chance to win the game in the final two minutes, and then just before the two-minute warning in a third-and-eight situation, sure, the team had no timeouts, but for some reason, Teddy rushed them to the line of scrimmage because the clock was running and ran a play that had no chance of success. There was no reason to rush that. And then on fourth-and-eight, he throws a two-yard pass to Curtis Samuel and just asks him to win after the catch, and he doesn't get it. So I don't know what was going on with Teddy today. It was uh, the situational football brain was not there for him and I'll close with Mike Davis quickly 11 carries 51 yards two touchdowns a long run of 10 yards but those two high value touches inside the 10 yard line were fantastic and then we also saw him get more use in the passing game six targets five receptions and 42 yards so who knows if Christian McCaffrey is going to return he always seems week to week at this point but it was a really good Mike Davis day the Packers improved to 10-3 and on the year, beating the Detroit Lions 31-24. to Aaron Rodgers is just ridiculous. I, I don't know how much I need to talk about this game. It's more of just watching Aaron Rodgers on a week-to-week basis. Look, if you don't, and if you just like see them beat up on bad teams like the Lions are, I would implore you to go to Game Pass or at least go to the highlights and just see how he manipulates every single play. Just the movement he has to buy himself some time while also keeping his eyes down the field, while also, you know, like throwing off platform and having so little wasted movement. It, it's, it's a different style than Patrick Mahomes. It's a different style than anyone. And I, I hate that it disappeared, it felt like for a few years, but Aaron Rodgers this year is just on a totally another level. And then it helps to have a receiver on another level. Like Devontae Adams, who had a long catch of 56 yards, where if you leave him isolated one-on-one, yes, he can go up and win the catch point, but now he's just able to win his one-on-one matchup and create these just massive, massive plays. Ten targets, seven receptions, 118 yards, and one score. And then it helps. Like this offense goes to an even different level when someone like MVS is hyper-efficient catching all six of his targets for 85 yards and a touchdown. You know, sometimes that's Aaron Jones having a great game. Sometimes it's Robert Tunyon, who even scored today. We've seen Al Nazard have a big game. But when it's Aaron Rodgers plus Devontae Adams plus one other player, then things get really special. And that's where this team can get really dangerous, despite the questions we might have defensively. Look, you can go on a streak of three good defensive games in the playoffs or just score more points than everyone else. And the Packers are a really, really fun team to watch right now, offensively. Just, just because of it's so in sync, it's so in unison, and their offensive line is so good that they are able to create these downfield shots with the quarterback that can make so many throws that so many others cannot. On the Lions' side, like once again, they tried to you know have some second half magic with ten points in the fourth quarter. Stafford attempted thirty-four passes, two hundred and forty-four yards, and one touchdown. Um, he did leave. At the end of this game, after taking a hit in his like head and neck area, sliding towards the end zone, and so Chase Daniel finished it, DeAndre Swift did lead this backfield in carry, seven carries, 24 yards, and a score. Peterson got four, Carrion Johnson got two, and also a goal-line touchdown. The Packers were missing a lot of their middle-of-the-field defenders, namely at linebackers, so that led to T.J. Hawkinson getting 11 targets, six receptions, 43 yards, and a touchdown. A really cool shovel pass in the end zone for his score. Uh, Danny Amendola, I believe now, according to NFL.com, has the fourth most receptions ever for an undrafted free agent in NFL history. Think of that. And today he added another six to his total for 66 yards. Marvin Jones only got to 48 yards on eight targets. And then Muhammad Sanu got 37 yards on two targets. Yet Swift easily led in touches, 11 in the backfield. But there is a correlation to good fantasy players being on winning teams because you score more points than everyone else. And right now the Lions just aren't there. I know they won last week, but that's you know a lot of fourth quarter heroics. And so DeAndre Swift, especially running backs, on bad teams, just need to get a bunch of volume. And Swift in his first game back didn't necessarily get to that 15 to 20 touch threshold that we like. All right, that is going to do it for our show. I apologize. We didn't get to the Falcons and Chargers game. To be honest with you, I am exhausted. It's basically midnight here. I don't have time to go back and watch that game and deliver it to you. We'll talk about it this week. I have to edit this whole show that you just listened to. Anyways, truly appreciate you listening. Thank you for joining us all season long. We'll be back here the next few weeks as well. We appreciate your support. I appreciate your support. Up the villa. Talk to y'all soon.
1: See ya. What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available Pro Access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. pro will tailgate available starting spring 2024. Cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's.